Brother Chuck for leading us in worship. It's a joy for me to be with you here this morning. Chuck and I visited just a little bit before the service, and he shared with me about a time when he was serving the church years ago, and he said years and years and years and years ago, and I preached a revival there, so it's good to see him again. I have never met your pastor except over the phone, and I'm going to tell you, I fell in love with him over the phone. Uh, what a great guy he is. Scott Dawson, whom I'm sure you know, is a friend of mine for many, many years. He texted me uh, earlier this week, this past week, and he said, are you preaching anywhere Sunday? And I said, as a matter of fact, I, I'm not. It's the first Sunday really in probably over eight months that I've, I've not been preaching. I just finished serving as an interim pastor over in Hueytown. And he said, well, I've got a great church. The pastor is a great preacher. And if you'll bring your A game, I'm going to recommend you uh, to preach there at First Baptist Coleman. And so he connected Brother Tom and myself, and we visited over the phone. And I shared with uh, your dear pastor, I know it's a rare thing to turn your pulpit over to somebody that you've never met and never heard. And so I am deeply, deeply honored. It's so good to see you at this eight o'clock service. I came on up from Alabaster last night because I am not a morning person, <laughs> and I feared I might be running a little late. You know, I, my thought is if God had intended for us to see the sunrise, he would have scheduled it later in the day. That's how I, I feel about it. But uh, your church was so hospitable to me in providing a hotel room. It provided me an opportunity to have dinner last night with a pastor friend I've not seen in probably 30 years, and to catch up with him and your pastor's administrative assistant, Nikki, has been so friendly and helpful. And I'm so glad that Rebecca welcomed us today because, man, she woke me up. How about you? I tell you what, she is so excited for the Lord. She's one of those type people, you know, you say, I think they'll make it to heaven if they don't overshoot it. And so thank God, thank God for her enthusiasm. So I hope you're fully awake and ready to receive God's Word. If you've got your copy of God's Word... I'm going to invite your attention to the Gospel of Mark this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14. In just a moment, I'm going to read verses 3 through 9 as you follow along silently. And my admonition today in this message is simply this. Let's do what we can for Christ. We're going to read about a lady about whom Jesus said she has done what she could. And I hope that he can say that about each and every one of us. To honor this as God's word, I'm going to invite you to join me in standing as we show our reverence for the reading of the scripture. Mark 14 and verse 3. And while he, that is of course Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. 
For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. And then he said in verse 8, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And the fact, friends, that we just read that passage, and we're going to share this message, brings to pass, does it not, that which Jesus foretold. For this is the place where the gospel is proclaimed, and we are sharing what she did. May God add his blessings to his word. Thank you so much, friends. You may be seated. You know, as you read the gospels, you discover so many fascinating things, interesting things. And one thing I want to share with you that you'll discover as you read the gospels, read the story of Jesus, is that Jesus never did anything for Jesus. Everything that Jesus did was for others. Paul wrote in Romans 15, 3, that Christ did not live to please himself. And you'll recall that Christ himself said in Matthew 20, 28, that he, the son of man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Everything Jesus did, everything Jesus still does today, everything Jesus ever will do is for others. It is for you, and it is for me. Years ago, I heard Dr. James Merritt, past president of our Southern Baptist Convention, express this truth with alliteration. He said, Jesus Christ was born for us voluntarily. Jesus Christ lived for us virtuously. Jesus Christ died for us vicariously. Jesus Christ rose for us victoriously. And Jesus Christ is coming again for us one day visibly. Everything that Jesus did, again, for us. So my friends, the question that begs to be answered is, what are we doing for him in our text we meet a lady, I'll tell you more about her in just a moment, but about her, Jesus said, she's done what she could, and she serves as a model for us as far as our serving and our worshiping and our witnessing and our working for the Lord. May he say of us that we've done for him what we can. I think it is way past time that pastor stood in pulpits, just says this one, and I know your pastor does this, and challenged their people to lives of service. It, it's way past time that we remind one another, this is what it means to be a Christian. You serve. You serve. It was back in 1961 that that young president, newly elected John F. Kennedy, gave his inaugural address, and in that address, he had that famous line when he said, ask not what your country can do for you. But we've come a long way since that, right? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask 
what you can do for your country. I think it's time we said that in the church this way. Ask not what the Lord can do for you. Ask what you can do for the Lord. Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. My wife Cynthia and I were riding along one day and we stopped at a red light and she said, look at that, that's just awful. That's just, I can't believe that. And so I'm like, guys, we do. We're looking around trying to find out what it is. And we were right by a church and there was a marquee out, out in front of the church, church sign. And on it, it had these words, wanted, colon, pew sitters. And my wife said, that's the last thing our churches need is more pew sitters. And boy, I agree, she got it exactly right. Friends, we need to declare war on pew sitting and say there's far more to being a Christian than, than just sitting and soaking and even showering. We ought to serve. We ought to minister. You sometimes hear that phrase, somebody got called into full-time Christian service. Friend, if you're a Christian, I want to remind you the day you got saved, you got called into full-time Christian service. I used to tell my people as a pastor back in South Georgia before I retired that I got paid to be good, but they were good for nothing. But the truth is, <laughs> the truth is we are all in the ministry. Certainly this lady here in Mark 14 was. Now Mark does not tell us her name. This story is also told over in Matthew 26. Matthew does not tell us her name, but John does. When you get to John chapter 12, this story is told, and John tells us that the lady that poured out this valuable ointment on Jesus, and by the way, John says she poured it not only on his head, as Matthew and Mark say, but on his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. John tells us this was Mary, the, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. You remember that home that Jesus would often go to there in Bethany. And so we'll refer to her as Mary the rest of this story. And Jesus gave her a place in God's hall of fame for this simple act. But what a beautiful act it was, anointing both his head and his feet and wiping those feet with her hair. So I want to share several truths with us today. If we are going to be able to have it said of us, we did what we could. My challenge, let's do what we can. First of all, friends, I want to say to you that if we're going to do what we can for Christ, we will need to be sensitive. We'll need to be sensitive to what it is Christ is calling us to do. Now, I want you to watch this. Mary was sensitive to the needs of Jesus because she knew the heart of Jesus. And the reason she knew the heart of Jesus was almost every time you see Mary in the Gospels, she is sitting at the feet of Jesus. There in John chapter 12, sitting at the feet of Jesus, pouring out that ointment in a beautiful act of service and devotion and love and worship. You back up a chapter, John 11. Her brother Lazarus has died. And John is careful to record that Mary runs out, falls where? At the feet of Jesus. 
and says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She was at the feet of Jesus worshiping. Then she's at the feet of Jesus with her problem, with her grief, with her pain. Her brother has died. One of my favorite stories is in the end of Luke chapter 10, Jesus and his disciples have gone there to the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Bethany. And as the story unfolds, we see Martha in the kitchen preparing because she had 13 hungry men show up probably unannounced, right? Jesus and his 12 disciples. But the scripture says that Mary was sitting at his feet and listening to his word. It's not that she was lazy because Martha burst into the living room and her attitude had kind of soured and she said, Jesus, don't you care? Can you imagine anybody asking Jesus that? Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? You tell her to get in here and help me. She's left me, which indicates what? There was a a time when Mary was in there serving with Martha, but here's what Mary knew, friends. There's a time to serve and there's a time to sit. There's a time to worship as well as work. There's a time to labor, but there is a time to listen to the word of the Lord. And you know what Jesus said? Martha, Martha. Boy, when Christ calls your name twice, you're in trouble, right? Martha, Martha, you are so careful and troubled. You're so anxious. You're so distracted about many things. But only one thing is necessary, and Mary chose to do that, and it will not be taken away from her. Friends, I've dropped by this morning to ask you, are you more like meatloaf Martha or meditating Mary? Mary spent time at the feet of Jesus, and here's something she knew. More than his stomach needed meat, his heart needed ministry. I want you to get the chronology of when this event took place at six days before Passover. It's six days before the cross. It's Saturday before Jesus will be crucified on that coming Friday. And I want you to read again with me what Jesus said in this this time. By the way, this is right after the raising of Lazarus from the dead. They are in the home of Simon, the former leper, And so this is an occasion of joy and much thanksgiving and praise. And here in verse 8, Jesus said about what Mary did, pouring out that ointment, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Friends, here is a great takeaway. If Mary had not anointed the body of Jesus when she did, she would not have gotten to anoint his body. That anointing would not have taken place. You remember the ladies that went to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning? Why were they going to the tomb? To anoint the body of Jesus. But were they able to? No, because he was gone. He had been raised from the dead. And so here's a wonderful truth in that to me. We need to do what we can, and we need to do it when we can. We need to do it while we can. Friends, Christ said in John 9, 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day because night comes when no man can work. We've got to do what we're going to do while we can. For one thing, while we've got life in our very body. You know, folks, there's some things that are not going to be in heaven. 
There's not going to be any preaching in heaven. Brother Tom is out of a job. It ought to tickle us that Brother Chuck still got to work because there'll be worship and praise and singing in heaven. But there'll be no preaching. There'll be no evangelism. There'll be no missions. There'll be no giving. There'll be no sermons on giving, tithing, giving offerings, no capital stewardship campaigns to raise money. Don't you say amen to that and prove how sorry you are. But what we're going to give and what we're going to share, and if we're going to work and witness, we've got to do it while we can. Just as surely as Mary did what she could do while she was able to do. Look for opportunities because when they pass us by, Sometimes they're gone forever. We need to spend time at the feet of Jesus so we can be sensitive to know what it is he wants us to do. Here's a second takeaway, and it is this. When we do what we can for Christ, it ought to be sacrificial. You look again there at the way that this ointment is described there in verse 3, an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke it and poured it out on Jesus. Verse 5 says that it could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. One denarii or denarius was what? It was a day's wage. And so the criticism was it could have been sold at what had been an amount of a year's salary. Think about that. Even at minimum wage today, that's over $15,000. Very costly, pure nard, grade A spike nard, probably imported from India. What did Mary do? She poured out a valuable treasure. Maybe it was an heirloom. Maybe it had been something passed down. Maybe she had saved for a long time to buy it. Hey, folks, we know this. She didn't even use it on her own brother Lazarus who had died. One chapter before in John 11, before we read the story in John 12, here she breaks the flask open. And she pours it out on Christ. You know what that tells me? She did her best. She gave the most valuable thing that she had. Friends, we can do exactly what Mary did if we'll just give to Christ our very best. When I was a boy growing up down in Montgomery at the Ridgecrest Baptist Church there, We used to sing so many songs that I still think about today, and one of them was a little song called Our Best. Does that ring true with anybody? I'll read you the chorus. It says, every work for Jesus will be blessed, but he asked from everyone his best. And then it went, our talents may be few, these may be small, but unto him is due our best, our all. Friend, you know what? Christ deserves our best. One of the greatest statements on sacrifice in all the Word of God is 2 Samuel 24, 24. David goes there to the threshing floor of Aranah to build the Lord an altar at the very place where the plague had stopped. And he wants to buy it from Arana. And Arana says, oh, no, you're the king. I'll give it to you. And David said this great statement, no, I will buy it for a price. For I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. 
And friends, I might just get an eight o'clock amen at this next sentence. It pays to serve Jesus. It's not the same when you have to ask for it, but it does pay to serve Jesus. But let me tell you something. It costs to serve Jesus. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you your talents, your treasure. You'll be inconvenienced. You'll be weary, put out. But I promise you this. He is worth the best that we can give him, all that we can give him. We need to do what we can, when we can, while we can, do the best we can, do all that we can. It ought to be sacrificial. To sacrifice means what? It means that I give up something I love and treasure for that which I love and treasure more. Is your life and your livelihood invested in the things of God to a very point where you feel it, it costs you, it maybe hurts a little bit, friend, that is sacrifice. Push through and give to him what he's due. Here's a third truth this morning. When we do what we can for Christ, we will have to be steadfast. Steadfast. All Mary wanted to do was be a blessing to Jesus. And yet, she wound up on the end of withering criticism. They're scolding her. You look again at verses 4 and 5. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For the scripture says this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 nerei and given to the poor. And look at this. And they scolded her. Wow. Friends, do you understand that that same spirit still lives on in most of our churches somewhere Sometimes in the forefront, sometimes lurking in the shadows. There seems to be in almost every church I know about a self-appointed cold water committee. And they like to pour cold water on almost all of the progress and all of the initiatives. And many times it's, it's financial wa- watchdogs that say, well, that just cost too much. Never mind their big house or their place in the mountains or at the lake or their big boat. It costs too much. And there'll be criticism. And so you got to remain steadfast. One of my biggest shocks when I began pastoring as a very, very young man was this. I just wanted to preach the Bible and encourage people and help folks and win souls. And I thought everybody would think I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Friend, it did not work out that way. I remember in my first church, there was one particular man that I don't care what I tried, what I said, anything we were trying to do, he would always, always be so negative and so critical. One time right before I was to speak on a Wednesday night, I went into the sanctuary and put my notes down and he had just left my office and I mean he had ripped me up one side and down the other. And it just hurt my feelings. I was a tender young thing. And so I told the folks, I'll be back in a minute. And I went back to my office and I just boo-hooed. And then I, you know, wiped my eyes, went out and preached. That kind of stuff rolls off my back now like water off a duck's back. Charles Swindoll said there's a lot of folks that have hard hearts and thin skin. And he said what we need to have is a soft heart 
and thick skin, right? We are going to be on the receiving end of criticism. You get criticized in the church. You get criticized out of the church. You go to the moon, you get criticized. It's just the way it is. So you've got to remain steadfast. You can't let it get you down. I love the story about these two buffaloes. They were out there on their on the range, you know, their home on the range. And the deer and the antelope were playing nearby. Skies were not cloudy. They hadn't been all day. When this cowboy rode up, jumped off his horse, grabbed them by their beards and said, you're the ugliest critters I've ever seen in my life. You stink to high heaven. You've got this old scraggly beard, those little beady eyes, that oversized head, that big gross hump on your back. You stink. Why, if I had my buffalo gun, I'd blow you both to smithereens. And he hopped on his horse and rode away. And one buffalo turned to the other and said, you know, I think we just heard a discouraging word. (laughs) It's seldom, (laughs) it's seldom that we hear it. Well, unfortunately, it's not seldom, it seems to me, in the church. You can have a great service one Sunday, and before you know it, criticism will break out. You know what? It's interesting. John tells us who really got this criticism started. It was Judas, talking about how it was a waste. And then the other gospels said, they said, which means they picked up on the negativity of Judas. And you can have that happen in a church. You can leave and go to the parking lot one Sunday and be walking along with your friends and family. And somebody says, man, wasn't that a great service? The choir was wonderful. And brother Tom brought the word. And then somebody will say, yeah, but he sure is getting long-winded. And then somebody else will say, you know he is. We can't even beat the Methodist to the restaurant, doesn't seem like. And somebody else will say, yeah, he preaches so loud. I I want to sleep, but I can't go to sleep. And before you know it, what was a solo of criticism has turned into a whole choir full of negativity. Folks, we got to be careful with our words. But if we're going to do what we can for Christ, we got to be sure to be steadfast. And we need to treat criticism the way Mary did. She kept quiet and let Jesus defend her. She was not about to apologize, not about to back up or take back that act of love and devotion that she had shared. Here's the fourth thing. When we do what we can for Christ, Oh, this is good. It will always be saluted, not by the cold water committee, certainly not by the world, but by Christ. Look at verse 6 again. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. They called it a wasteful thing. Jesus called it a beautiful thing. Friends, lean into this truth. What matters is not what others think or what others say. What matters is what does Jesus think? What does Jesus say? And I promise you this, he assesses real value. He called it a beautiful thing. And I promise you this, no act of service, no act of love, no act of devotion that you or I ever do goes unnoticed by Christ. 
You're never going to go to the Lord and tell him something that you did for him and hear him go, really? I didn't know that. No, no. He knows and he values. And it may be in the midnight hour when nobody has noticed anything that you've done. You seem so unappreciated. If you'll listen real close, you may just hear from heaven. And one day you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It'll always be saluted. That's what matters. And here's the last thing. When we do what we can for Christ, it will always be significant. I want you to look at verse 9 of our text again. Jesus said this, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Friends, Jesus was impressed. Mary had done a loving deed, a beautiful act of kindness, and watch this, she did it for one reason, and it wasn't to be noticed, it wasn't to outshine her sister Mary, it wasn't for recognition, it wasn't for a tax write-off, hey, it wasn't even for the recognition that Jesus gave her. She did it because she loved Jesus. I wonder how much would be left in our churches if we took away everything that was not done out of sheer love for Christ. It was a loving work, but watch this, it was a lasting work. I mean, this was what was called a Roman pound. 11.5 ounces of that pure spikenard poured out on Jesus. John tells us that the fragrance filled the whole room. Everybody got blessed. But you know what, friends? I think that fragrance stayed with Jesus probably for days. It might have even stayed with Jesus all the way to those illegal trials. Certainly figuratively, if not literally, Jesus still had a sense of that aroma when they were putting him on the cross. It was a lasting work. And friends, I don't know about you, but every time I see an act of devotion and service and sacrifice for Christ, I can still pick up the scent of Mary's very fragrant ointment from that alabaster box while anything not done for Jesus is going to go up in a puff of smoke. When I was a boy growing up, my mother had a plaque in our home. And it would move around, maybe on the mantel and on the wall. But I would read it as a boy, read it as a young man. It was part of a poem written by C.T. Studd, who was a very wealthy cricket player in India before he gave his life for missions and went there to China and went to Africa. And you may know this simple line. It said this, only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Friends, don't you want to invest your life in something that's going to go on forever and forever and forever? And I promise you this, friend, when the mountains crumble into dust, when the oceans dry up like a desert, when the sun is a dying ember, when the stars fall from the sky like ripe figs, what you and I have invested in a local soul-winning church 
goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. So what can you do for Christ? Can you sing in this choir? Can you rock a baby in the nursery? Can you work with young people? Can you hand out a bulletin, shake a hand, park a car, teach a class? Folks, we don't all have the same gifts, but we have have the same responsibility to do all that we can while we can do the very best that we can for Jesus. There's a little line that says, I can't do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do by the grace of God, I will do. And here's how we'll be evaluated one day, friends, not based on what we've done, but what we did compared to what we could have done. I pray God that he'll be able to say about my life, and I pray he'll be able to say it about your life, you did what you could. And I promise you this, dear friends, when we stand before Jesus one day, we will all wish that we had done more. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We come to the time of invitation in a moment. We're going to sing about what Jesus did. The song says Jesus paid it all. Then it says all to him I owe. Friend, I, I just came today to Remind you, do what you can. For Jesus, watch him make it into something loving and something lasting. You'll have to be sensitive. Spend time at his feet to do that. Be sure it's sacrificial. Be steadfast, even if you're criticized. Don't back down. You keep pressing on and doing what Jesus has showed you to do and I promise you because it is so significant to him it will be saluted by Jesus if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior your wonderful executive pastor brother Scott is going to be standing right down front why don't you slip out and come and take his hand and just say I I need Christ and he'll take it from there Or maybe you accepted Jesus another place, another time, but you've never ever followed through with baptism as we saw on the screen. That wonderful man who gave his testimony through the baptismal waters, and we could have this church schedule that for you if you'd come. Or maybe today you'd say, you know, I need to join the church. I know Brother Tom's not here, but I promise you this, he would be delighted to know you came, moved your membership here to First Baptist. You come on, this church will welcome you and just embrace you. Or maybe you just ought to kneel here at the place of prayer and do some business with the Lord and go back to your seat or have a word of prayer with Brother Scott and go back to your seat. Let's just obey the Lord. Jesus, as we sing this song, remind us afresh and anew how you paid it all for us and forgive us when we're not doing what we can for you. Lord Jesus, if there are those that need to respond to this invitation, I pray, Lord, that they might come.
Some to receive you, some to profess you, some maybe to unite with the church, some to come in a fresh surrender to your lordship, some coming to pray. Help us do what we can. Even in the invitation time we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. This dear man is here to receive you. We're going to sing this wonderful old song. Let's stand together now, folks. And as we sing, somebody come right now. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me, find in me, thine all in all. Jesus, paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. being so attentive today and you've been a wonderful bunch to preach to it's been my absolute delight to be here to share with you and I know these men will be around if you need to talk to any of them afterwards about any commitment any decision that you need to share thank you thank you Dr. Alford so fellowship of our church so if you join me in welcoming daniel in the full fellowship of first baptist church coleman when you raise your hand say amen. amen amen and now for our benediction from second peter 3 18 peter writes grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be the glory both now and forever and god's people said amen, amen. amen.